You're listening to the Party Girl Podcast with Chelsea Curtis, episode 114, How to Create a Customizable Event Planning Checklist, part two. So if you are listening to this and this is your first episode with me, definitely go back to the episode right before this because you want to make sure that you know and understand how to do the first essential parts of creating a customizable event planning checklist. And just to reiterate, if you are the type of person that's planning things out in your mind, you've got to get that out on paper and you've got to create a system that other people can look at and follow. So we want to dive right back in here and talk a little bit more about the theme. So, you know, when you have an event theme, whether it's for a wedding, a Christmas party, your own event, or even just a summer event that you're doing for free for your neighborhood or community, the theme represents the event message and it has a much more essential purpose in creating buzz. Like are the guests experience going to begin before they even come? Like, can you incorporate elements into the invitation or social media posts to get anticipation and to kind of build up excitement for the event? Can you use elements to connect the theme with the individual event components, or even the event sponsors. Think about things like decor, catering, entertainment. A really fun way that I was able to do this was for the Page Summer Story last year. They had some amazing sponsors, and we asked the sponsors to help us accomplish some amazing things. So the theme last year was a Grecian whiteout. So all the guests were encouraged to wear white. And one of the fun elements that we had to tie in this theme was Right at the beginning of the event, when they drove up in the limo, they got out and we had a live horse and two Roman soldier models that were wearing the traditional sandals and the, I don't know what it's called, like the skirt, the Roman leather skirt and no shirt. And they were muscly and there was this horse. It was just over the top, right? So when they came, like before they even got out of the limo, they're looking and they're like, whoa, (laughs) this is going to be an awesome party, right? So think about that. Like, even if it's smaller, like when I do my daughter's birthday party, for example, um, she did a mermaid theme party one year. And in the invitations, I put in glitter that looked like little shells. So when the girls opened their invitations, all these little shells came out, right? So it doesn't have to be this grandiose, like horse in the front yard every time. It can be little, but think about connecting those elements. And then what do you need to plan for When do you need to execute it to make it happen? And then again, last but not least, you want to make the event memorable. Think like what are the different elements that you bring to the table that you could, you know, just infuse and and bleed into this event that would not only make your clients happy, but your customers, the guests, everyone who comes as well. So as you're going through your checklist, these things are going to give you ideas. And each of these ideas is usually their own little checklist. But I want you to think about that as you're designing your perfect template because it's something that will help you to execute in a much better way than you were before, especially if you weren't using a checklist at all. So next is decor. Decor isn't just pretty. It's crucial for a successful event. Have you ever been to an event where they had tons of tables that either had no tablecloths or linens or no, or what am I trying to say? Oh, they've, I've been to events where they just had like a plastic tablecloth, but nothing on the table even. And to me, it just feels like it was an afterthought. Like we didn't really care to put the time and attention or or detail because it's not necessarily that it has to be super expensive every single time. Like in my opinion, if you don't have the budget 
for balloons and some centerpieces at a table that you could easily find at the dollar store, for example, you probably shouldn't be spending your money on an event. Now, if you're not aware that you can do these things for very inexpensive by doing some DIY hacks, you know, searching Pinterest for inspiration, you know, that's a different story. But most of the time, a lot of people just don't know that this is a lot of like making it look like a party and having it feel over the top. Your guests experience things through their senses. So one of the things I always do when I talk about decor is I try to think visually, what am I going to see? What is going to elevate the event? What are the centerpieces going to look like? And then I will go to Pinterest and look for inspiration there as well because I'm a very visual person. And like I said, even though you may have an idea of what someone's talking about or they may feel like they have an idea of what you're talking about, you're not necessarily always on the same page because if you can't see it, what you're envisioning could be completely different than what they're describing to you. So what are you going to see? Make a list of those things. Next, what do you hear? What is like the auditory things that are going on in the party. Is there going to be music? Is that going to be a DJ? Is that going to be someone's iPhone hooked up to a sound system? Is that going to be a live band? Um, what kind of music are you going to play when? Do you have presenters? Do you have a speaker? Do you have something that is there um, that the guests are going to need to focus on? So you're going to add this piece to the event agenda as well as your checklist and then what are all of the things that they need to make that music happen? Most of the time, like a DJ, for example, is going to bring their own sound equipment. And so that's something you need to think about. Um, more often than once, I've had DJs not have enough power cords, which I, <laughs> I think is super unprofessional. But in my emergency checklist, that's something I always have is extra extension cords and tape for just any sort of little things that you, you may need. Next, what are the smells? So even if it's in the background, smell is always there. Even if it's just that the space is outside and it smells like a nice, pretty grass, <laughs> sunny day smell. You know, um, if it's a wedding, like do you want to have scented candles? Sometimes food can have a really good smell that emits. Like I've worked with San Diablo churros many times and anytime they bring their churro cart, you can smell churros. And so it's a fun way to just kind of get the senses peaked and get them excited as people are coming to the party. Touch is the next one. Are there any elements that the guests can interact with? So they're like photo booths and they can hold props or even my example from this page summer soiree event that I did where they brought in a live horse that you could take a picture with and pet and have a conversation with if you wanted, right? So you can take this as many directions as you want, but think about the touch element and then the taste element. Again, you've got to make sure that you've got good food at your event. It's going to make or break the event. If food is cold, if food is, you know, not seasoned well, people won't enjoy it as much and that's all they're going to talk about. So I want to, I want to talk about food a little bit more and, and give you some ideas on how you can get more creative with food and beverages. And most, these are honestly, I think the most important components of an event because sharing a meal is a truly, it's really like a community type experience. So whether it's a seated dinner or you have a charcuterie board and you're grazing or you have a buffet style, it's associated with nurturing. And so it's something that you can illustrate hospitality through in a very easy way. And so when you're planning your food checklist, here's a, a couple of things that I want you to keep in mind. So you need to make sure that you are not doing the food. That's the first thing. If you're the event coordinator and this is an event that's not at your house, um, you really should not be doing the food. I mean, you shouldn't like if you want to have volunteers come and you plan all the food and they're in charge of like setting it up, that's fine. If you're a solo person, you're not going to coordinate the event and 
cater all the food by yourself and think that you're going to do a good job. I promise you it's going to be a disaster and you're going to drop, you're going to drop balls in places where they shouldn't have been dropped. And then it makes you look bad because you're the professional and you were supposed to have this all together. So interview and research food vendors. Um, Google reviews are a great way to kind of get a feel for who you should be talking to. And then once you start working with people, you can negotiate rates and contracts. And then once you build the relationship, you can actually have um, a list that's your go-to of people that you always go to and that you kind of know, like, I'm going to give you gigs, I'm going to give you deals because you always treat me right and you always give me a good price and you always do good work and you're on time and you clean up after yourself and all of those things, right? So you want to make sure you determine what kind of food you need. Is it a seated dinner? Are you doing food stations? Is it a charcuterie board? Are you just going to do appetizers that they pass out? And then plan your menu around whatever the customer, the client is wanting, you know, are there dietary restrictions? Does anybody have food allergies? You need to just make sure you're thinking of all of those things and then having options in case you missed something. And so the checklist will help you stay on top of those nuances so that you pick the perfect caterer, that your menu is on trend, that you're, you know, thinking of others' dietary needs and that they are again, feeling the sense of community through being nurtured and nourished with food. So let's talk about hiring entertainment and planning your guest experiences. Now at my dance parties, I've had guest experiences where a photo booth comes in and it's more interactive. I've had, you know, girls doing lipstick and glitter braid bars. We've done gel nail stations. We always have um, some sort of a way for them to learn a dance. Typically I have Dirty Licious Erica come in and she's been teaching a mini Dirty Licious class um, for something like a wedding or, or anything else. Some of those examples would still work. You just need to be the one that's setting it all up and making sure that you can ad- add it to the agenda in a way that everyone's aware of what's going on, when, who's performing what, and then who's in charge of whatever those different stations need. So for example, if you're saying you have a photo booth it's not a bad idea to have a photo booth. And if you just have a stand with a glitter black backdrop and some props, I guess that's a photo booth, but you can take it up a level by hiring a, or asking a volunteer to actually manage that photo booth and say, Hey, can I hold your phone? Cause there's nothing worse than when you get to an event, you're at the photo booth and it's just you and your friend and you're like, so I'll, I'll let's go find someone to take our picture, I guess. And then they are awkward. Cause they're like taking one and they're like, here you go. And you're like, oh, great. Was it even good? You know, versus like having somebody that you're like, okay, you're the photo booth person. When they hand you their phone, take a few vertical, take a few horizontal and take at least seven photos so that they can choose, right? Because that would elevate their experience. Um, So again, any of like the guest engagement stations that I explained earlier, relaxation areas, massages, all of those you can add in depending on the type of event you're doing and depending on what you want. And I want to add to this, like plan for those little details and the unexpected. It's really the little details that make the biggest difference. And I think a lot of times people that don't understand events, they think they're frivolous. They think they're wasteful. And to me, I couldn't disagree more with that. I think that the little experiences are the reason people fall in love with your event. And it's why they want to come early and why they want to come again. So that's why it's important that you've got to keep track of every minute of this agenda when it's actually being implemented so that you know how to course correct when things go wrong, because things will go wrong. So here's a couple things to consider. If you plan to put directions um, on the event website, make sure that they're correct. I talked about this in part one, drive to the venue and make sure that the event directions actually work. 
And then, you know, consider like parking and consider, you know, is there going to be enough for how many people you want? Do you need to have transportation, bring the guests from a separate parking lot to the event location? How will you handle event registration? Are you going to have long lines? Are you going to have a paper check-in where they have to, you know, tick their name off when they walk up? Or is it going to be digital? Um, Are you going to do tickets? Are you going to do those as like, do they have to print off the paper? Are you going to be able to check them in digitally? What if somebody has a medical emergency? You know, do you have event insurance? Is there signs directing guests like what to do, where to go? Do you have event security? Do you need event security? Is is it going to be something like um, a city type of thing? I know that where I live, if you do a city event, you actually have to pay for security. You have to have um, like a medical team on hand and you have to have, I think, two police officers for like city activities, which makes sense because you don't want anything to go wrong. So having them there for... These types of events I'm thinking of, like off the top of my head, would be like a 5K or, you know what I mean, some sort of a race or like a Ragnar. But you have to make sure that as the event planner that you're not missing those crucial steps because that would honestly put you out of a job and put you in such a bad position as the person in charge that it could ruin your potential for future jobs. So then I like to do a chart or another list for all of the day of event logistics. So a minute by minute schedule. That sounds a little intense, but you know, like as detail oriented as you can of everything from vendor arrival and setup all the way to post event breakdown when you're taking it all down. So I've seen new event planners make this mistake. For example, they have an event, they ask volunteers to come and they tell the volunteers the time of the event. The event starts at seven and ends at 10. No, 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 no. The event starts maybe at 11 AM when you go to set up the venue. You know, like who's going to help you then? And the event ends once you've picked up the last piece of confetti and everything is put back into place. So make sure that you are accounting for all of those times before the event starts, what you need to get it set up. And after the event ends and what all you need to clean it up. There are so many moving parts on event day. Inevitably, there's going to be those unexpected situations, you guys. And so that's why I say you can never have too much help and you can never have too many detailed outlines. And I find that I have zero stress because of this technique that I'm sharing with you. Zero. Like when I go to plan an event, I am like, yes, this is going to be great. Because I've worked out every single thing so hundreds of times, millions of times in my mind over and over and over and checked it against my list again and again and again and again and again. Right? So here's a pro tip. You can create visual layouts using like software or event planning apps. Sometimes they cost. It's like monthly or you can pay for the year. But if you, if you are somebody that's doing events a lot, it might be a good idea to invest in this because then when you have your day of logistical charts, you can actually have these space like layouts for people to use and to leverage and to help you with the mission of executing this beautiful event from start all the way to finish. Now, when the event ends, event doesn't really end. I always like to say that after you end an event, allow for a few days and I want you to follow up with the client or whoever hired you and, and maybe even the guests, if you're hosting your own event, but you want to touch base with them. This is an opportunity to reinforce the event message and get feedback as well as like, you know, figure out if there's something that you could have done better. Like, were they happy when you're putting together what you want to say to them? You can do this as another email template that just, thank you so much for hiring me. Thank you for this opportunity. I absolutely love this event. And it was such a pleasure to work with you and to learn from you. And I think as you do that, you can have it as an email. You can also send a thank you note in addition. 
And then posting the event on social media and tagging them, giving them some love is another really great way to do that. That's a little bit more techie if you're, if you're into, you know, shout outs and, and things like that online. But I think that this should be added to your checklist, like clean up last piece of confetti and then send out a thank you card and follow up email with the client. And then take time for yourself to debrief, to debrief and kind of write up an event analysis. Like while it's fresh on your mind, sit down and either by yourself or with your team or your employees, talk about what went right and like talk about what went wrong and go to the event checklist and say like, did we use this in a productive way? Like was there communication gaps? Were there things that were hard for people? You can totally go back and rework the event. And if something went wrong, like talk about it as a team when it's calm and you're not in the heat of the moment and say, okay, what could we have done differently? Now, if you're a solopreneur, you can have this conversation with yourself and be like, okay, hindsight is 2020. Knowing what I know now, what would I have done differently? And you can actually come up with a lot of solutions that surprisingly will become very helpful because the next time it happens, you will have solutions already worked out in your mind. I think one of the biggest mistakes new event planners make is they assume everything's going to be perfect. And I'm telling you as a seasoned professional, it just does not work that way. So again, it's important to have backup plans for your backup plans and then to walk yourself through the event before, during, follow up with your clients and then after and give yourself like a post event analysis and then add that to the report of like where everything settled up. And, and then I, if it depends on what your client wants, but sometimes for corporate events, they want to see how all of the budget worked out and all of that. This is a great time to send all of that and to send your thoughts and, and to just kind of put a nice bow on this beautiful package. And it's super valuable as an event planner that you are taking the time to see where you can have more strength and I guess better skills, whether it's communication or execution or whatever. And I want you to know that the beautiful thing about event planning is like, once you've built up your list of vendors, once you've built up enough of a, um, resiliency to things going wrong and you having to MacGyver your way to make them right and not, and hopefully no one notices, right. As the event planner, that's like your main job is that you are handling all of the fires and explosions in the background and no one has any clue. Right. So as you're going through that, I promise it'll get easier because some of the time investment, once you've already built relationships with caterers and whatnot, you won't have to do that again. So I want you to know that this work, like, yes, it, it is a lot of time investment. And I promise you in the beginning, it may be a little bit more so, but I can speak from experience when I say that it is the most rewarding work you'll ever do. And it is fabulous beyond measure to get paid to do what you love. And it's crazy to me because a lot of the things I do, I would just do for free because I love them so much. And I love that I've, I've stood up and said, you know what? I see the value in what I do. And just because I love something doesn't mean I have to do it for free. And that's exactly why I've written out the party planner Academy, because I want women to own their creativity and to own their talents for event planning and to get paid to do what they love. And a lot of people are, are trying to do it in their own way and and they're trying to figure it out and they're bumping along. And I did that eight years ago, you guys. And it was so hard. It was so hard and unnecessarily hard. You just don't need to waste time when someone else has gone through it and can say, here's the roadmap. Here's what to do. So if any of these checklists or if learning how to start an event planning business is something that you would like to do, head over to my website. The link's in the description and check out my download, the eight steps to becoming an event planner. 
I would absolutely love to help you get your start. And thank you again for joining me in this episode. I'll catch you next time. Oh, 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 oh,